You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. Elon Musk has had an incredible 12 months up until now. So I'm talking Thursday, August 13, 2020. And in the last year, Tesla stocks are up by over 500%. It's been an incredible year and it has elevated Elon Musk's wealth to beyond the wealth of Warren Buffett, the legendary investor. Elon Musk's net worth now stands at uh, in excess of 70 billion US dollars. So for an Australian, that's probably around the 100 billion Australian dollar mark. So an incredible year that the share price of Tesla reflects the, um, the, the profitability. The fact that, that company hasn't made much of a profit in most of its history, but in recent times, it started to turn a profit. And it's showing with its uh, Model Y, its Model 3, and the new Roadster and other developments that it's got in the pipeline. It really is a force to be reckoned with. It makes great cars. They're very high-performance cars. They're, they're great designs. They're beautiful cars to look at. A lot of things going for it. SpaceX is also another company owned by Elon Musk. It's a private company, not a listed public company like Tesla. SpaceX has had an incredible year as well. There's the heavy lift success story with uh, one of the most powerful heavy lift rockets in the world. That actually combines, basically combines three Falcon 9 rockets into one heavy lift rocket. There's also a super heavy, which is under development. All things seems to be going well with that. It's running uh, new engines and, and promises to, uh, you know, to actually be, uh, you know, more powerful than the Saturn V moon rocket, and will be capable of potentially sending people to Mars. Uh, there's also the recent success of the Dragon capsule taking over from Russia as uh, the means for American astronauts to get to low Earth orbit, to get to the International Space Station. Now they can do that for the first time since 2011. They've been able to launch from American soil travel to the International Space Station, dock there safely, and then uh, return a couple of months later and, and splash down and the astronauts are fine. A lot of the projects that Elon Musk has been working away at for the last 20 years, having made his money from um, PayPal, a lot of those projects are now yielding fruit. We've talked about them on this program. I just thought I'd run through them and give, give listeners a bit of a perspective over what's happened. It's incredible growth in his wealth and the in the share price of Tesla and the success of other projects. I just thought I'd, I'd wind back the clock to 2016 and start with a piece we did on the program about, uh, fittingly, about Elon Musk's mighty 10-year master plans. So, you know, his ambition, his vision, how that translated and, and put out there for people to consider. Then in October 2016, we did a piece called Becoming an Interplanetary Species, which is uh, a big dream of Elon Musk's to set up a colony on Mars. Uh, then from November 2016, Tesla's solar power generating roof tiles and how these can be made to look just like a conventional roof tile, but actually be very durable, attractive to look at, thermally stable, and can generate solar power. From November 16 on Beyond Infinity, we talked about a proposal from Elon Musk for the first satellite-based global internet via 4,500 satellites. Now that is another project that, that is just going gangbusters. There's some resistance from astronomers who feel that the skies are being filled up and with objects that can interfere with um, astronomical observations, but nevertheless they are being launched. 
that looks like it's going to succeed as a uh, another little side project, if you like, for Elon Musk. For most people, it might be a life project, but for Elon Musk, it's a side project. February 2017, we talked about how Elon Musk considered flying cars too dangerous and how um, Metro LA is partnering with Elon Musk, a boring company for tunnels underneath LA. Solve some of those traffic problems there. From December 2017, we talked about how the world's biggest battery had become operational in South Australia, helping to solve some of those power generating and power problems that had beset that Australian state. In July 2018 on Beyond Infinity, we talked about an awful week for Elon Musk, which was to do with um, some of the things that he'd been tweeting and some of the problems that he'd had uh, in managing the fallout in regard to the um, the tire rescue of those boys from the cave system where they were trapped and, and his efforts to be involved in that rescue process. From September 2018, we did a piece entitled Tough Times for Elon Musk and Tesla Investors. Then from January 2019, we did a piece entitled The East Coast Hyperloop and how that had been pitched to the Australian government, uh, another side project of Elon Musk. And then finally, uh, rounding out these series of pieces that we recorded over the years on Elon Musk and his uh, incredible vision and successes from December 2019, the outcome of the lawsuit that had come out of comments he'd made on Twitter about one of the people involved in the uh, Thai cave rescue, Vernon Unsworth, who Musk had described on Twitter as a pedo guy. Well, December 2019, the court found in favour of Elon Musk and said that basically on Twitter, you know, pretty much anything goes. Look at the way that uh, the President of the United States uses that medium to support that uh, conclusion from the court. So um, sit back and uh, listen. There's about an hour and a half coming your way, spanning from July 2016 right the way through to December 2019. And then, of course, this year has been incredible with those um, successes for SpaceX and profitability really driving the price of Tesla to meteoric levels. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Now, Elon Musk, 10 years ago, came out with a 10-year plan. And it's amazing how successful he's been in ticking off all the things that he wanted to do with the 10-year plan. Just going over what that was, this is a blog that he put out 10 years ago. And the first one was to create a low-volume car, which would necessarily be expensive. Number two, use that money to develop a medium-volume car at a lower price. And the third thing that he set out in his master plan was to use that money to create an affordable high volume car and the final thing he wanted to do was to provide solar power apparently this has been on their website for at least the last 10 years you know if you look at that create a low volume car so the model s yep use that money to develop a medium the model x yep uh, use that money to create an affordable, that's the Model 3, yeah. which is yet to be in production. Yes. But that's had enormous pre-sales, I think of 370,000 pre-sold, people put down $1,000. And then provide solar power, and that's the whole solar city yep. thing. That's the Tesla power walls, mm-hmm. which we talked about last week for it. It's being used in a new suburb that's being developed in uh, Yarra Bend. Yep. He's kind of ticked off those boxes, 
He reckons the point of all of this and remains, according to Musk, accelerating the advent of sustainable energy so that we can imagine far into the future and life is still good. That's what sustainable means, according to Musk. It's not some silly hippie thing. It matters for everyone. Mm. So he's, he's been quite successful. He goes on talking about sustainability. He goes on in this, in this to say, what really matters to accelerate a sustainable future is being able to scale up production volume as quickly as possible. That is why Tesla Engineering has transitioned to focus heavily on designing the machine that makes the machine, turning the factory itself into a product. And this is one of the, one yeah. of the reasons he had to do that is because with the Model 3, he had so many, this runaway success, like the biggest product launch ever yes. in, terms of, in terms of the money that was put down in advance orders for the Model 3, that he's basically had to scale it up. Mm-hmm. You know, his focus is on actually being able to make these things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. designing factories mm-hmm. that are as environmentally friendly and sustainable as possible, yep. ticking off that box, but also producing these things in the numbers that he needs to have the impact that he wants to have. Going forward for the next 10 years, he's announced his master plan part two. The points of this are as follows. Create stunning solar roofs with seamlessly integrated battery storage. So the idea that you've got a glass sunroof on a car, for example, mm-hmm. that functions as a as, as a as a glass roof, yep. you get light through, mm-hmm. that is also a, generating solar power, so mm-hmm. it's got solar cells in it, and that also integrates a battery. Yeah. So kind of an amazing thing to be able to do, but that's number one on his list for the next 10 years. Expand the electric vehicle product line to address all major segments. So he wants to do things like create trucks yep. and replace buses. Mm-hmm. He wants there to be a situation where even Tesla might lease out fleets mm-hmm. to people who want to use them because apparently when you if you own a car you might use it for 5% of the day the rest of the time it's sitting in a car park yep. unused yep. so the idea is to tap into the crowd mm-hmm. and get some value out of this asset that you've got sitting in a garage somewhere or on the side of the street rent it out and, 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 and lease it out and I know that uh, Uber were in discussions with Tesla because they wanted to well they still want to I believe order in a whole lot of Teslas with the autopilot that runs now this is still some time off but it won't need a driver potentially so it could be a Tesla on the side of the road and then you open up your Uber app I need a car and it will come and pick you up. The car will just start itself up, start no itself driver, up and, and off it goes. Take you off. Could be that a community of people only need a couple of cars to actually deal with, mm. which is much more environmentally friendly. It's cheaper for you because if you just can get a car when you summon it, that'd Absolutely. be pretty nice. Yep. Yeah. He wants to develop self-driving capability, which you've just been talking about, that is 10 times safer than manual via massive fleet learning. He's already on track, really, with that kind of thing. He sort of defended autopilot. Some people have said, critics have said, you know, why is is autopilot for cars being tested in beta form? That's a bit risky with people's lives. Mm. And uh, there there was a fatality recently, which we reported on the program. He argues that it's called beta in order to decrease complacency and indicate that it will continue to improve. And it's always off by default. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of defending that policy they've got. Once we get to the point where autopilot is approximately 10 times safer than the average US vehicle, then uh, the beta label will be removed. The more these things are used, then the more data that's collected and then then the whole system's refined. It's got to feed in all different road scenarios, weather scenarios, all of that data feeds back in. And it's that feedback loop. So if that can be 
then turn back into appropriate code to then manage a future scenario, that, that's just so much better for these self-driving vehicles. And one day it, it will happen. I just don't think you can jump straight to here it is, here's the complete product and then put full trust in it. You need to go through that that's right. staggered process. A- according to Musk, he reckons that worldwide regulatory approval will require something on the order of 10 billion kilometres, 6 billion miles of data gathering. Yeah. Current fleet learning is happening at just over 5 million kilometres, 3 million miles per day. So they're kind of chipping it away at it but you know, just to make governments and regulators happy in, in a multitude of jurisdictions all around the world, it'll be different. There'll be different standards. Yep. Then they're going to have to test it a lot more. It's kind of one of the downsides of, of developing autopilot, which incidentally is very closely modelled on the autopilot that aeroplanes use, hence the name. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. A lot of people may have heard, it's been in the news, that Elon Musk, the founder and CEO of SpaceX, it has contracts to supply the International Space Station. It's got a heavy lift rocket called the Falcon Heavy, which is going to have an enhanced lift capacity. They've already got the Falcon 9, which is doing pretty well until a recent explosion on the launch pad when they were actually fueling it up. No one was injured. but it the did pa- do, They lost did, the payload. They though. lost the yeah. payload, yeah. A couple of hundred million dollars worth of satellite and the rocket and some damage to the launch platform. And I actually saw in the news just this morning that there's been some suggestions that might have even been sabotage involved mm. in that. Prior to that incident, it had been a pretty reliable rocket. Yeah. And that's the one that can... can was it one of the reused rockets? I don't think so. No, they've yet to use one of them. I yeah. believe that there's there are plans afoot to to demonstrate the reusability, but not for, a, a, I think, in the next six months. They to, want the reliability of being able to land them from, from that's launch. That's right. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the other thing, which is a, a huge advancement that SpaceX has, has already achieved, and that is to be able to reuse the first stage of a rocket. Because yeah. you can obviously save a lot of... There's nine engines on a Falcon 9 on sort of scaled up versions of that there'll be even more engines Mm. which is what he talked about he gave a presentation at the international astronautical congress in guadalajara in mexico he went through his vision for how humanity can become an interplanetary species a spacefaring Mm. civilization and his target is mars Mm -hmm. venus he said is too hot acidic environment very high surface pressure really unfriendly place jupiter and saturn a little bit far out although he did envision that you know, down the track, if there was a reason to go, you could actually use this the interplanetary transport system, ITS, that's reusable that, he, that he's talking about. You could actually use that to colonise or explore the whole solar system. Mm. Not for interstellar travel, but certainly for within our solar system. So Mars is the target he wants to colonise, and he wants to do this by developing a, a really huge rocket which will actually run on a new methane-burning Raptor engine. It'll have 42 of these clustered in the first stage. Mm -hmm. So the Falcon 9 has nine in a cluster. The Raptor cluster for this big, big rocket, the interplanetary transport system that he's envisaging, will have 42 in a cluster. And then it'll have a bunch more in the second stage. And as with the Falcon 9, that first stage will be reusable. So it'll it'll launch, it'll get its payload up there, in this case passengers Mm -hmm. going to Mars, and then it'll come back down. Then a fuel tank will be put in place of the spacecraft that had people on the first launch. It'll actually land back on on the launch pad, Cape Canaveral. In fact, where the, uh, the Saturn Five moon rocket took off because mm-hmm. it's got a, it's a big enough base to launch these really big rockets. Withstand the heat and yeah. All that, so yeah. they're refurbishing that, and NASA's given them permission to reuse that 39A and B launch complex. Yep. It then goes back up to orbit, fuels up the Mars colonial transporter. Well, it releases the sort of top section, doesn't it? And that doesn't that 
sort of fixed to the back of what was already in orbit? No, it actually pulls up alongside it from the look of the graphics that Elon Musk was showing at this presentation he gave. It pulls up alongside it, the fuel's transferred over and then it separates and then the tanker goes back to Earth to refuel and be used again. And then the passenger craft heads to Mars. Mm -hmm. But... There's a lot of things that have to happen, a lot of things that fall into place before this sort of dream takes off and and we could see it as reality. Look, it's going to be an enormous rocket. If he built this, the interplanetary transport system, as he's calling it, it would be capable of lofting 300 tonnes to low Earth orbit, more than two times what the Saturn V could lift. Mm -hmm. That's the reusable version. There's an expendable variant, which according to Musk could launch about 550 tonnes to low Earth orbit. What he's saying is he wants to send a lot of people to Mars. Mm -hmm. He's talking about every 26 months when there's a launch window to Mars, when the planets are close, and that's generally when spacecraft are sent there. It minimizes the transit time. The fuel used, all that. Absolutely. He's he's planning on on taking advantage of every single opportunity from now on. So Mm -hmm. starting in 2018, he's got a thing called the Red Dragon mission, which is to send an unmanned Falcon 9 rocket to Mars Mm -hmm. and do a vertical powered landing. So Mm -hmm. he doesn't use parachutes as the Americans have done with some of their landers on the surface of Mars. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a powered descent all the way down. So you hit the atmosphere, there'll be some aero braking, and then you use thrusters to control your descent and eventually touch down soft landing. He wants to send lots of people per launch. He's envisaging 100 people or more. Mm -hmm. So the size of the rocket, that's why it's got to have that lift capacity. It's a very ambitious, a very imaginative and kind of inspirational thing that he's putting forward. Reminds me back in the 1950s, Werner von Braun was uh, doing television shows where he was talking about inter- interplanetary travel. Mm-hmm. And that actually captured American public's imagination and, and led to their sort of support and, and the government being able to justify spending the billions and billions that they did. Yeah. on I think it was the Apollo program worked out to be about $10 billion per astronaut in today's dollars yeah. to put the 12 astronauts on the surface of the mm-hmm. moon. So a very, very expensive exercise. He wants to make it much cheaper by reusing key components, yep. by having a tanker that can be reused, mm-hmm. by having the first stages that can be reused just as they are with the Falcon 9. Once he gets to Mars, he wants to be able to create fuel. So the rocket that lands the first people on Mars or all these colonialists, once they get there, then the rocket can actually be refueled by making fuel off the land, if you like, yeah, right. on, on the surface of Mars. So making methane to power these methane Raptor engines mm-hmm. and also oxygen, which is the oxidant, which burns the fuel, yep. getting that out of the wa- plentiful water supply that we know is there on Mars in the yes. form of ice. But you've got to be able to extract those things. You've yeah. got to process them into rocket fuel. And to do that, he wants to build massive solar panel arrays like Solar City in the States that we've talked about on the Just program. Imagine big fields of solar yeah. arrays. But I mean, yeah. to get all this stuff to Mars, to oh. set up a plant that can manufacture rocket fuel for yeah. you, to have that fuel up a rocket that flies back, leaves all the people there with all their habitats and all their supplies and all the things they need. If you want to come back, according to Musk, you can choose to come back on that return trip mm. because they're going to recycle that rocket anyway. Yeah. So it's a very grand vision. I made a couple of... Well, quick- I wonder if it'll be robotics that would install the solar arrays. So you know, send you know, thousands of panels up there and then send automated bots to, to work through and install them. Yeah. You know, it'd because have to be. How would you have humans being able to do that without uh, any sort of self-support system? Well, really? look, they're going to have to have a space suits to survive on the surface of Mars, yeah. absolutely. Another thing that was raised in this presentation he gave in Mexico was what happens on the way there. How do you shield your passengers from radiation? Because we know that the, the radiation yeah. environment is very hazardous. Yep. He said that shouldn't be too much of an issue. He did say that it's possible that when there's a solar flare or a solar storm mm-hmm. or a, you know one of these mass coronal ejections, this sort of thing, that could 
pose a specific danger. Yep. Well, knock uh, out the electronics. Well, and... well, talking about human health. Yeah. You know, the increasing cancers, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, in that instance, maybe you, you predict the st- the solar storm. You orientate the spacecraft so that the the passenger qu- area, which is at the the front of the ship, was farthest away from the the solar flare. Mm-hmm. Water is a good thing to protect you from radiation, apparently. So maybe there'd be water tanks surrounding an emergency safe zone Evacuation that, that people could go to yeah. on this enormous ship. It requires a very, very heavy lift rocket to be built, much bigger than than uh, anything that exists at the moment or that's ever been built, including the Saturn V. Very large crew and cargo area capable of, of transporting, according to Musk, 100 people or more per journey. Massive solar-powered fuel-generating system to produce rocket fuel on Mars, Mars habitats, and the vast unfunded development costs and big technical obstacles yet to be resolved. So mm. exciting, and there is a video that you can watch. You can go to YouTube or you can go to SpaceX.com. You'll find this presentation that Elon Musk gave to the International Astronautical Congress on September the 27th. It's a fascinating thing to watch and it's exciting. Let's hope it happens one day. You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. We've heard about Tesla with its autopilot cars. The objective of Elon Musk is that he wants to basically make a more environmentally sustainable world, and that means electric cars being powered by solar energy. Mm-hmm. One of the great things that have come out recently, and there's just been some stuff released in the media, is these camouflage solar panels, which basically look exactly like a roof. So, well, they're individual tiles, aren't they? Yeah, yeah and they, they retain a variety of traditional looks, so they can be textured slate shingle in appearance or terracotta in yep. appearance as well. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a glass block with a solar cell embedded in the middle of it. And what's quite clever is they use a one-way a special coating that yep. becomes more or less see-through depending on your viewing angle. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at a house with a, a solar cell roof array basically disguised as tiles that from street level will look solid yes like a proper roof it's only if you were to, to change your viewing angle and look much more at 90 mm-hmm. degrees straight down yep. that you would actually see that these are transparent with and, the cell, solar cell inside and listeners might understand this when you were explaining to me that if you've got a special filter over your screen your laptop screen your desktop screen if you're looking straight on from that you can actually see clearly but if you want some privacy and you've got this filter anyone looking from an angle more than but maybe more than 60 degrees or something mm. they just cannot see the screen it's it's seems to be blacked out i've actually noticed on some of the um, in-flight screens you have in the back of uh, the seat in front of you on a plane a lot of those have got that same kind of technology mm. where the person sitting next to you isn't disturbed by what you're watching yeah so they can look straight onto their screen and see their program but if they looked at an angle on your screen they can't actually see what you're yeah. watching it just looks like a black screen yeah it's it's been around for many many years yeah. this kind of technology so yeah. it's it's interesting to see them adopt this in solar cells but it is a way of making it look much better which some people i'm sure would be concerned about the look but this seems to be the the positive step forward apparently tesla's working with 3m which is a company that makes special coatings and all sorts of stuff yeah but it's working with them on this technology you know the idea is that you will be able to go to tesla like the one-stop shop you order your, your solar panels you get a battery array to go with it and coincidentally they've released an updated version of the power wall which is even slimmer you know, if you've got it on the side of your house, it's not sticking out as much as the uh, the first version of the power wall mm-hmm. does. And that takes the solar panels off these little roof tiles that look exactly like a roof, but they're actually solar panels mm-hmm. generating power, goes into your power wall and then powers your, your house at night. 
and or charges your car. Yeah, right. So the idea is that you could go to Tesla and, and get your solar panels, battery and an electric car to, to use some of your solar energy on and you just pay one, one big payment to one company. <laughs> Fantastic for, for Elon Musk. One of my issues with solar panels is that they can be really mm. unsightly. Yes. You know, we have quite tight planning and overlooking and, and issues, you know, that your neighbours can, can be concerned with if you're building something and it's unsightly and or reflective even, mm-hmm. you can kind of say, well, you're not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they can specify that you've got to use muted colours on your, your roof, for example, yeah. because, you know, otherwise it can be very bright when seen but from your neighbour's second story. Well, none of those sort of restrictions apply to solar panels because they're trying to encourage people to do things in a green, sustainable mm-hmm. way. Solar panels are exempt from all those considerations. Yep. So you can have your neighbours, and I know some some pretty close examples to where I am there's big reflections that come off yeah. solar panels you know you can see it at, at, at certain times of day it's just going straight into windows that prior to those solar panels being there they never got that yep. blast of light mm-hmm. building this sort of thing really does look like a roof it can be made in different forms to simulate uh, a, a slate shingle or a terracotta tile is a fantastic thing also they're very strong in a recent demonstration that Elon Musk made of these camouflaged solar panels, he actually demonstrated with a drop test, showed a video of a drop test, and they're really solid. He mm. reckons that they're made of quartz. He just said it... it have Stronger a, than like, the terracotta tiles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A quasi-infinite lifetime, mm. whatever that means. Yeah, it'll cost you 5,500 US dollars yeah. for a 14 kilowatt storage unit of the, the Powerwall version 2. And a seven kilowatt hour peak power draw is is available from that, which is enough to power a four bedroom house for a day. Tesla is partnering with SolarCity on these new products. Musk announced back in June that his electric car company plans to merge with the solar panel installer, which he's already a majority shareholder in of SolarCity, and it's actually run by his cousins. Mm. So all pretty closed shop with Tesla and SolarCity. They'll be making these solar roof panels. Shareholders will vote on the plan to merge those two companies, SolarCity and Tesla, on November the 17th this year. Now, they're not the only battery creator or even solar panel manufacturer. I think they've done really well in terms of the marketing or getting their name out there. People understand if they're talking about the power wall or battery storage, people right now think of Tesla. There are other alternatives, and I've actually seen a lot of discussion in the last few months online about people saying, yeah, you can invest in a Tesla or you can save some money and invest in an alternate company, and there are a few around, that will provide the same kind of thing. Mm. Look, it's a positive step that Tesla are doing all this research into it, but there is that higher cost that goes with it. So for me, as much as I'd love to invest in any of this technology, it's still too far off for me. It does need the early investors to get the scale happening and then we can start to see some declines in the costs. And we have seen that over the you know the, the lifetime of solar panels. They have dropped dramatically in cost. And they've got more efficient as well. Improved in efficiency. Mm. So I am looking forward to the day when we can get a Tesla power wall that's a quarter of the cost but can you know store 10 times as much as what it does and, now. And at the moment, you know, listeners should be aware you can go and buy an off-the-shelf solar panel system you know like a a full package from a company and that'll use things like an array of car batteries to store the store the the power if you're off the grid or if you want to go that way and save on electricity bills you don't have to do it with the power wall with the sort of tesla option as john said that it's 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 quite an expensive one Uh, there are cheaper ways to do it i think what you get here as well is you're getting 
you're getting leading technology, but you're also getting the support of Tesla. They're doing updates, particularly with their vehicles, and I can see that they'll be doing software updates through their battery systems, and there will be this Internet of Things technology that's inbuilt. There will be times when it you know, works out when's the best time to use the power from the battery and all that. So this is something that maybe other battery companies are not doing. So this is what, sort of what you're paying for with, with all of that. Elon Musk is really you know, becoming this this kind of evangelist figure, you know, he's, he's almost like, I mean, it may be a bad analogy to make, but he's kind of, he's that same sort of showman that Steve Jobs was. Mm-hmm. You know, he's great at mm-hmm. inspiring through this vision that he's got, mm-hmm. whether it's selling people on the idea that they can get to Mars in the mid-2020s yeah. using his own SpaceX technology, or whether it's, you know, showing off these beautiful houses with, you know, with your Tesla Model 3 or a drawing of it or, a, you know, an artist's impression of it parked in the driveway, this beautiful roof, which is all solar panels, yeah. you know, using this, this uh, technology that he's recently announced, these special camouflaged solar panel tiles he's a great visionary yeah and not only that he's one that actually takes action there's plenty of people that have big ideas mm. but do nothing about them mm. whereas he's he's got the big ideas and he's actually doing something about it and he's got the backers the people to support him invest in the technology invest early on i mean we've seen people in australia we were fortunately one of the first countries to actually get the power wall now they've invested in that power wall and it does work well but they've paid a premium price for that system. And in the next few years, we should see that price reduce quite dramatically. You need the visionary and you need the support of people to invest in the company. And a lot yeah. of those people who are investing in it, the early adopters, they're wealthy people. It seems to, and the same in America, all around the world, the people who, people who, who are particularly wealthy, they can afford to pay the premium for yeah. the early product. They can afford the luxury of being green-minded, if yes. you like. You yeah. know, a lot of other people just go, well, you know, it's too expensive. It's too much for me to outlay as a startup cost. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can amortize that over seven or eight years, but that's a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I just can't afford to do that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is kind of the wealthier people who are, who are subsidizing or getting these things off the ground. Maybe that's fair enough. You know, Maybe that's a reasonable sort of situation. It will be great when these things become really affordable because then... We can really harness the power of the sun, not just for, for, your, for, your, for your household power usage, potentially for your car, you know, for business, for street lights, everything. If you're going back onto the grid. We can is, get rid of the dirty coal. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. Well, there's talk about shutting down. Hazelwood. Yeah, guess, that's yeah. right. There's a brown coal generating power plant in Australia that it's owned by a French company. And the French company is making an announcement about whether they want to shut that down mm. or not. You're listening. Now, John, Elon Musk is at it again. (laughs) He's a big thinker, isn't he? Yeah, he doesn't stop. He's unrelenting. Look, he's got some big ideas. And I do like, you do need strong leaders, whether it be in politics or particularly in business, to be able to help us move forward. And he has been big in the tech space and you know we've seen with teslas and we've seen a number of the things that he's been doing mm. his latest is about creating global internet through the use of satellites right so he's actually uh, asked permission or sought permission from the u.s government to operate 4425 satellites to provide high-speed global internet coverage this is huge 
So at the moment, the way we access internet, and particularly here in Australia, we're currently we're running on the um, the copper network, the, the phone lines. Mm. We're building the NBN, which will run through fiber optics and also supplemented by copper. Yep. We've talked about Wi-Fi technology, which would basically be still using that kind of technology and then having a signal go out from there. It was only a few months ago, I think, we've actually launched a satellite for Australian internet for remote communities, remote areas, which can't easily be accessed by the, the fibre that we're you know, having down the east coast and other populated areas. Yep. All of this requires obviously high cost, but it's ongoing upgrades over years. Whereas if you have a satellite system, you can sort of just forget about all of this. You've got a signal that's being beamed down directly to you. And with 4,000 satellites in orbit, that's going to cover every corner of the world. So imagine being anywhere in the world and having very fast internet speeds. Pretty good, wouldn't it? Now, some people would say, oh, hang on, we've had satellite communications before and it's been slow to connect. The, the difference is that the satellites that have been sort of for phone communications have been much further into space in, in orbit, whereas these ones would range between 714 miles and 823 miles. So about you know, 1,200 k's at the, at the outer limit. Yeah, and so what that means is it's quicker to get the signal to and from the satellites. And they're also talking about having the satellites connected to each other. So at the moment, when we want to connect via the NBN to America, for example, we've actually got this big underwater cable that goes from Sydney across to Los Angeles and the signals carries through there. Whereas these satellites, they're talking about having sort of lasers that connect to each other. And so the signal goes up from the ground to the satellite and then when you know travel through these satellites and then that would travel around these satellites and then beam back down to earth from there very very ambitious it's massively expensive i think it's 10 billion dollars they're estimating to launch nearly four and a half thousand individual satellites and that's us dollars basically they're talking about launching them all you know it wouldn't be one by one they, they would basically kind of put them on yeah so it could be a couple of hundred maybe on some of their rockets that would go up and then they'd launch those so they do want to do a, a test case and see sort of how that works but they also need to get the approvals first so they're not that small i mean that the size of these things they're not like a CubeSat, for example which is a mini little satellite and they can really launch them in, in swarms like multiple satellites at once these are about 1.8 by 1.2 meters in size they weigh about 386 kilograms each yeah so it's so, like it's so like an average car size yeah. and not maybe as heavy oh, as a car half the size third of the weight of the car but yeah it's going to be expensive to launch four and a half thousand of them that's the point yeah. you know they're not tiny they're, they're quite large and the issue then being is it creates a monopoly on the internet so yeah. we would have one person can control one it. can you know turn it on turn it off mm. i don't know what this would mean for global communications mm. obviously there's the huge positive and that would be access to the internet anywhere in the world and it would be very fast however you've also got the downside you've got one company essentially controlling it you've got potential hacking which could take over these satellites and cause any number of casualties and disasters throughout the world but it is something that is welcomed mm. i do look forward to this kind of thing and it's sort of the natural progression i think of the internet and, anyway. the, and it's not the he's not the first person it's not a completely one-off elon musk thought bubble there's a thing called OneWeb, which is a private company that's also doing looking to de deliver the same sort of thing so internet yep. via satellite boeing that that's a big aerospace business 
over in the States, they've been looking at it as well. And even Facebook have got a thing called internet.org, which is an initiative, again, yeah. to deliver it by satellite. Funnily enough, SpaceX was launching a satellite in September for Facebook yes. and, and it exploded on the launch pad. Yes. And the, Obviously, and there's it, a high cost to both because they lost the rocket, and, yeah. but they also lost the satellite, and which even, was for this. Even Google's been, ex- uh, been high experimenting altitude balloons. With, with balloons yeah. as a way of delivering it as well. So, yeah. so there's lots of different takes on how this is done. And pa- apparently, Google has invested a billion dollars for this project that Musk's got. Well, this could be governments around the world which would basically say, look, yes, we've got poor internet infrastructure in our country. Maybe that's a small island nation or maybe it's a poorer country. But their governments might be able to afford this to be able to bring the internet to the people rather well, than trying to install some sort of NBN type system like we have. That figure was right about the $10 billion to get 4,500 satellites up there into space and thereby solve the world's high-speed internet issue. Mm. That's much, much cheaper than the NBN in just in Australia. That's right. So it actually would be, as you said, if it became a, you know an internationally funded intergovernmental sort of exercise, it'd be very cost-effective. This would require a lot of significant trade agreements. This mm. would require a global acceptance of it Mm. you know we don't want that monopoly we don't want to see where one company has that control and can switch on or off the internet whenever they like there should be restrictions around it hopefully it's not just the u.s government that's going to decide on those restrictions obviously they would need to approve it to allow it to be launched but we would like to see some intergovernmental cooperation between all the countries to say yes we agree this is good for us this is good for the world really exciting stuff another big huge project proposed by Elon Musk who's kind of a serial entrepreneur and and the one thing that I've learned through watching him over time Mm. is that he can get this sort of stuff done he often does get it done yeah so it might seem a bit out there and a bit strange but this is the sort of guy that can go yep this is my idea I'm going to make it happen and And he does and look how far SpaceX has come in the last you know 15 odd years since it was set up a lot of people doubted that you could launch a a satellite or or object up into uh, low earth orbit and then actually able to land that first stage with nine engines intact on a barge in the middle of the atlantic yes people didn't think that was possible and And he's proven it you're listening to beyond infinity Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. Since a little child and having watched Back to the Future, I was a huge fan of the idea of flying cars. And there are a few companies that are looking at how you could create flying cars and what it would look like. And we talked earlier today just about reverence, talking about uh, drones. Yep. Uh, But... Elon Musk has come out and basically said that he doesn't think it's a great idea. And his quote is, obviously, I like flying things, but it's difficult to imagine the flying car becoming a scalable solution. If somebody doesn't maintain their flying car, it could drop a hubcap and guillotine you. Your anxiety level will not decrease as a result of things that weigh a lot buzzing around your head. So his plan is rather than sending things into the sky, I mean, we do have options for example drones for parcel delivery services amazon as i mentioned earlier are certainly looking at that and there will be other things in future but in terms of human flight through cars maybe it's not the best idea and so elon is talking about sending people underground so he wants to create a boring system which not only digs into the ground but also creates a sort of the wall of a structural integrity around as you go through it's just an all-in-one and so by digging through here, you could have multiple tunnels going through um, you know, major cities. What that means is there's the less demand on the roads because already major cities are seeing problem with congestion in the roads. Mm. 
And if we go into the air, we've got a lot more potential for things to go wrong. You know, a lot of people flying and potentially crashing or unmaintained vehicles falling out of the sky or, or hurting other people. And there was some talk that if you have that many drones in the air, you're going to have a lot of wind wash or you're going to have a lot of noise. I mean, a drone is very noisy. If you stand right near one, you've got multiple motors that are going off. And you're going to need some serious AI to control them or manage the fleet and make sure they don't collide and the yeah. whole thing's kind of safe. So maybe the smarter solution is digging into the ground and this is where he's got the, the Hyperloop. The Hyperloop. Yep. And that might be looking at you know how we incorporate the Hyperloop or how he does incorporate the Hyperloop into these tunnel systems. Could we get from here to Melbourne in five minutes? The Hyperloop just briefly is a pod-like vehicle that you can, it, it's in a near vacuum that you kind of shoot at sort of airline speed through this sealed tube that yes. you build. So it might be that, you know, the idea of, of not being in the air and being underground incorporates the Hyperloop as well as That's part right. of the solution. It's an interesting idea, John, like a lot of, of ideas that uh, Elon Musk seems to come up with these days. Yeah. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. the boring company that incidentally makes flamethrowers mm-hmm. so they make boring equipment to dig tunnels under cities like LA to yes. get around terrible and soul destroying traffic snarls that they have there that LA is kind of renowned for in a bad way they make boring equipment but they also uh, just happen to make flamethrowers as well which, a, which I think you can order online uh, yeah I think it's <laughs> not sure, not sure, a, not sure whether a, you can get them in Australia I think you put an Instagram post up and uh, a short video and it sold out within minutes there's uh, a video on, on YouTube I've seen of him trying to fry a cameraman who's filming him in like in this sort of warehouse where he's demonstrating a (laughs) flamethrower Elon Musk recently done a presentation in LA with the boss of the boring company now it should be noted that he only spends about two to three percent of his time he's mainly involved with Tesla and with SpaceX those are his two big interests but he has got a couple of little side shows going on and one of them is is this boring company and it's actually already tunneling underneath so this uh, is separate to the Hyperloop uh, yes separate to Hyperloop Hyperloop's much faster the boring companies it's sort of personal carriers are going to go about 200 kilometers per hour 125 miles an hour whereas the Hyperloop is is not for sort of going from point to point under a city to mm-hmm. escape traffic local traffic it's more for going interstate you know Washington New York yeah. or or uh, Sydney Melbourne that kind of distance and that travels much faster I think at speeds of uh, 700 miles an hour mm-hmm. which is the kind of speed of, a, of an aircraft a yeah. commercial aircraft so that's a different technology quite separate at the moment although you can obviously see that there are might be some similarities and, and, might be some and, and the Hyperloop I think is above ground it's a it's yes. a tube that's above ground the boring company is as the name suggests about boring underground he suggests and and we've actually mentioned this before on the program but he suggests that the idea of flying planes which uh, we've talked about in the show recently Larry Page's alphabet company have got a they've got an interest in developing these sort of planes and there are others involved in doing it as well Chinese interests and the like Elon Musk is quite dismissive of that. He said it's going to be really noisy. Mm-hmm. It'll be dangerous. You'll have the chance of these things falling out of the sky. Yeah. He mentions that you know a propeller could come off one of these things and you know scalp you if you happen to be underneath it when it yeah. when it hit the ground. He sees that that is not the future. Look, there's a lot of people who are betting against him. I'm sort of a bit on the fence. I, I think it, I think the idea of flying taxis is, is a good one, personally. I'm not actually a big fan of it, so I'm more in the boring side of things. Underground, yeah, okay. for sure. All yeah. right, well, there you go. We don't always agree. And Elon Musk is quite he's quite critical of the flying taxi. He just doesn't see it taking off. He thinks it's just going to be dangerous, and uh, it's way, way away from being developed, whereas you've got lots of room underground. You can dig these tunnels. And look, this is always the way with Elon Musk. He's a very... He's a big thinker. He's yeah. a big thinker. 
thinker. You know, he really does like to get ahead of himself, some might say. It's a very ambitious project to honeycomb tubes under congested cities around the world, starting with Los Angeles. I, I watched the YouTube presentation. We'll put links up of this presentation he just did recently in LA after being delayed in traffic. He didn't get to stay. He was delayed starting it because mm-hmm. he'd been delayed in traffic, as he pointed out. It's Musk at his best. He's sort of sitting there and he's, he's, he's almost thinking on the fly. You can see his brain. Not all the details mm-hmm. have been worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't give a, a set time frame for when this when these things are going to become available, when it'll be possible to to get to LAX airport from downtown LA in eight minutes, traveling at, be- traveling at 200 kilometers per hour in one of these tubes. And the idea is that, you know, instead of having big stations, you can have something the size of a car park that appears on the surface. You jump into this little glass, like sort of mini modern tram mm-hmm. type size thing, or even smaller than a tram. It disappears down an elevator below the surface and then joins up with this network underneath that whisks you off to the airport yeah, in, right. in quiet air-conditioned comfort. Yep. So look, a long way to go. It's one of his visions. Uh, just before he did the presentation in LA, he announced that he'll be working with the LA public transport system, the city's metro system, to deliver tunnels underneath the city. So he's actually got a yep. big partner there. We will post links. So it's an update to where the boring company is at at the moment. You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. SpaceX was set up by Elon Musk, the serial entrepreneur. We've talked about him already on the program. They have been experimenting and developing a technology which is to reuse the first stage of those Falcon 9s with nine Mm -hmm. engines. It's the most expensive part of the booster, Mm -hmm. and it's responsible for getting you well up on on the way to space. And then usually what happens is you fire a second stage, and that completes your orbit insertion, Mm -hmm. and then you release your satellite or whatever your payload is, and then you're done. And previously, those those lower stages were just discarded and, and and the money lost, basically. Yeah. And in fact, they've been doing it for a while. We've, we've talked about it. They've got these barges. One of them's called, of course, I still love you. <laughs> Bizarre name for it. It's floating around, unmanned, robotically controlled in the Atlantic, off the coast of Florida. What they've been doing is the booster separates uh, the first stage with those nine Falcon engines at the bottom of it, uh, the most expensive part of the rocket, fires some uh, some engines, uh, some thrusters, and that actually gets it to do a vertical landing on the booster. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to Earth, lands on the booster vertically with these little legs that stick out the side of it, somehow manages to they nail, get, get well, well nail done, the landing. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, you think of the most you know incredible gymnastic manoeuvre, yeah. you know, you've seen with the triple somersault and the backflip and the back scratch and everything else you can throw into it. Yeah. To be able to do that with a very large, you know, with a booster basically completely unaerodynamic and land it vertically and then stick it to a deck that's mm-hmm. moving. And you see that in the videos of of the barge, it's surrounded by white caps. The whole thing's moving around quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So an incredible feat. And that's all with a view to recycling rockets and basically making the cost of space travel cheaper. Yep. So you recycle it. The barge takes it back to Florida where it's refurbished or it goes back to the uh, the Hawthorne, California headquarters of SpaceX where it's refurbished and then reused. Mm-hmm. Now, the first one to be actually reused was fired just recently, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. It worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it did, They obviously they were pretty careful in the, with the way they refurbished it because it was an important milestone they wanted to get through. They're not going to reuse it again. Right. They're going yep. to donate it apparently to Cape Canaveral mm-hmm. as, a, as a kind of a, they believe it's a very historical yep. first stage. So you don't, you don't want to reuse it and have it then damaged or Well, it's, it's or... the first time that a first stage booster, the most expensive part of a rocket, has been reused ever. Yes. And it is a key 
key technology that SpaceX is hanging mm-hmm. its hat on. It's what other companies, he talked about this in a post-event press conference that he did. Elon Musk was saying that he, it wouldn't surprise him at all if their competitors, so Blue Origin by uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, mm-hmm. Musk wouldn't be surprised if, if other companies follow this lead because he believes that it is the way to go. Yeah. Recycling your first days Smart. and saving is, is to do that. So, so they, they launched a communication satellite for a Luxembourg-based company and it, it's providing satellite coverage, I think, for South America. Mm-hmm. And it all went absolutely perfectly. The satellite wound up in exactly the place they wanted it to be. The first stage separated and landed back on the barge. Mm-hmm. So they've actually recycled it a second time, but as I mentioned, they're going to donate it for sort of as an historical object yep. to Cape Canaveral for public display. But in future, that you know, on, on other Let's ones that are recycled, because they've now got several of them. They've yep. now got several that have managed to nail that landing on the on the barge. They're all being refurbished and ready to fly again. Mm-hmm. And in future, there's no reason why they couldn't be flying. In fact, you know, multiple times. Mm-hmm. Musk talks about this in this in this press conference that he gave. He talks about how they could how, how quickly they could be refurbed. You know, if you land back at near Cape Canaveral or even at Cape Cape Canaveral, they're talking about them possibly being refurbed for same day use again. Oh, wow. yeah. He talks a little bit about what a kind of a separate project they have, and it's apparently it's not without its its, its serious problems and headaches and, and technical hurdles to overcome. But that's it's called the Falcon Heavy. It's strapping three of these nine engined first stages together mm-hmm. so you have 27 engines yeah, that wow. all have to fire simultaneously mm-hmm. and give you a much bigger lift capacity yep. and they also well when they've well, done they'd their job apart. they'd separate apart yep. and they'd land as well and they'd be reused so the whole idea and it's proving successful apparently the engineering behind it really is pretty impressive mm-hmm. to be able to do this to be able to land on a barge and then have componentry which is durable enough to be recyclable mm-hmm. they're talking about minimal recycling here you know talking about sort of having to do the essentials only the rest of the thing is designed to be reused, a bit like Teslas, which they say have got a you know million mile or million kilometer parts yeah. warranty. Yep. So they're designed not with the inbuilt, you know, everything's supposed to last for you know a certain amount of time, and then back to the scrap heap. Basically, mm-hmm. he's building machines that have, have really got some legs and designed to last for a long time. So that's the Falcon Heavy. It's a long way off from being actually being yep. used, but next year, and we've covered it on the program. He did talk about sending one of these Falcon Nines to Mars mm-hmm. and doing a vertical landing with the first stage on Mars. Yep. So that's down the track. That'll be an exciting use as well. This really does mark a paradigm shift in the way that we get things into space. It saves a lot of money. It brings launch costs right down. It makes space more accessible. More companies can get more objects up there. Mm -hmm. And then it also has flow-on effects for other types of uh, uses of space. For example, human space flight. Mm. And the space shuttle tried to do it. It was designed very much with reusability, so the whole space shuttle itself, if you recall, could be could be reused. Mm-hmm. It landed like a plane, yep. and, and and then was a bit of refurbishment strapped to new boosters and an external tank. Mm-hmm. In fact, the boosters as well on the shuttle were able to be recycled. Right. But that proved to cost $500 million a launch, yeah. way too expensive. Yes. So the vision of the shuttle doing multiple missions all the time just didn't come true, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So it was uh, a bit of a disappointment for a lot of people and really missed out on its key design objective, which was to be a, a more affordable access to space. You're listening to Beyond Infinity, your weekly dose of science and technology, presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. The 
world's biggest battery has actually been completed mm-hmm. over in South Australia. It works in conjunction with a wind farm. Mm-hmm. So South Australia has about 40% of its energy or electricity is generated through wind. Yep. This enormous battery was actually built by Tesla. So there was a dare. It was uh, a big bet. kind of a dare. It was yeah. a bet on Twitter. And basically Elon Musk sort of came out and said, okay, well, I can build you the world's biggest battery, which is what you need mm-hmm. to store so that you can deal with um, you know, situations where there's high load. I think it was last year, uh, South Australia had some blackout problems. Mm-hmm. It was to do with a storm, but it was also to do with uh, very high extreme weather as mm-hmm. well. That's when Australia's power load is most in demand when we have really when we have a heat wave. Yep. Basically, yep. everyone's running. Or significant thunderstorms if a power line goes down, which was one of the scenarios. Yeah. So that, that was, was kind of yeah. beyond control. That wasn't a, a, a problem with the actual generating capacity. But so South Australia has embraced renewable energy. As I said, they've got forty percent from wind. They're trying to make that even more. They're trying mm-hmm. to be a clean and green state. But there have been certain questions, you know, raised about how well the the alternative forms of energy were actually integrated with the more existing framework fossil and, yeah. fossil fuel generation which can cover you if you've got a spike in demand yeah. whereas whereas wind unless you've stored that energy somewhere and that's where the tesla battery comes in you you can't meet that demand mm. because you don't necessarily have wind the ability to generate electricity right there and then when you need it that's and that's right. why you know that's why some people sort of say that we shouldn't be doing away straight away with with coal we should certainly be looking to phase it out but we need to have we need to have battery technology and we need to have you know ways of using effectively the alternative clean energy sources whether it's wind whether it's a wave motion, mm-hmm. whether it's even hydro, these are all alternatives. Yeah, pumped hydro is a big yep, sort of exactly. discussion. Yeah. Yep, that's a, that's another good one. You pump it when you when you can. Some solar panels yep. to pump and it up. And you just have to yep. release gra- and the gravity does the work yep. and uh, and gives you that surge of energy when you need it. The biggest battery in the world has been completed by Tesla. It was a day ahead of schedule, wasn't it? Was, it? I think it was. Yep, yeah. it started one day early. And they had already essentially been producing the batteries. Mm. So I think as soon as they had sort of agreed verbally, before the contracts were officially signed, they'd already started production of this because I'm sure they thought, well, if we don't use it here, it's going to be used elsewhere. Yep. And then when the, it was 100 days from when the contract was signed, yep. so they were well into production at that point. And then uh, they were, I think they were well ahead of schedule. They were doing some tests about a week beforehand and then uh, officially turned onto the grid about a day before. Apparently, the Australian entrepreneur from Atlassian, uh, fellow billionaire of, of uh, Elon Musk, Mike Cannon-Brooks, he sort of engaged in a, in a, a bit of a Twitter uh, back and forth with Elon Musk. This was before the whole project got off the ground and sort of asked him how serious he was about his offer to uh, to complete it within you know, 100 days. Elon Musk, on the record, or on Twitter anyway, said to the whole world, Tesla will get the system installed and work in 100 days from contract signature or it is free. That's serious enough for you. Mm-hmm. And so that was the thing that triggered it. And then uh, the, you know, the news... Uh, went to Jay Weatherall, who's the Premier of South Australia, and he's embraced it. There was a competitive tender process. Tesla won that. They've built this uh, this massive battery. It seems it, to it be... Was, it, we've yet to find out. It's, it's, it's early days, but it seems to be doing the job it was designed to do. It was a big bet. This is all about marketing. I mean, obviously, you know, Elon sure. Musk is, is about trying to produce a better future through all the different technologies creating the battery technology. But, you know, this particular instance was very much about marketing. I mean, he's competing against all the other battery companies out there. I, I think he was pretty confident that he could deliver that. You know, he knew what he could produce. Mm. And, and even if not, I mean, everybody around the world was talking about Adelaide and this, you know, the Tesla batteries that were to be installed. And, and everybody is still uh, now. So it was a huge, huge... And even the policy. 
politicians yeah. were cashing in on this. So Jay Weatherall, the Premier of South Australia, he's, he said one of his conditions of, of giving it to Tesla was that Elon Musk come in person mm-hmm. to, uh, to to sign it. And, you know, yeah, so they get their publicity. So they get well. their publicity, exactly. It, look, it's not without its detractors. Obviously, there's people talking about it. it's not a big enough system to be able to continue. You know, it's not going to power the, the whole state. No, no it, power, it can power 30,000 homes. It's the size of an American football field. That's the size of this battery. According to Elon Musk, he said, quote, what this serves is as a great example to the rest of the world of what can be done. You know, there you go. It, it was, a, it was as you say, a marketing exercise relying on that publicity that was generated by that big bet. You know, if mm. it's not done in 100 days, it's free. So, mm-hmm. wow, you better get it done in 100 days. Everyone's yep. watching. And then other, other countries around the world that are looking to make this switch and looking to back up their alternative energy sources like wind mm-hmm. can, you know, sort of see that can be done, see that can be delivered and effective. And, and the discussion three for, for the last decade about renewable energy is, well, if the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, then you're not being able to generate energy through, you know, wind or solar so uh, you know that's been a huge uh, argument against renewable energies and so people say well if it's not coal then it needs to be nuclear but now with this it's when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing the batteries can then be able that stored energy can feed into the system yep so you know let's you know let's say the wind turbines are going at their regular speed they're sending that current through to the batteries which charge it up but as soon as it slows down or stops then the battery starts to gradually go down from a 100%, 90%, 80%, etc. And it waits for the wind to pick it up. So it's always pumping it out, the energy out at a, a constant current rather than having these ups and downs with uh, you know, the wind and solar. Smoothing out so the it's whole. smoothing it out. Yeah, which is a good thing and it was what was needed in South Australia. Look, there has been some controversy about it. The federal government, as distinct from the state governments in Australia, has been a little bit sceptical about this. According to uh, Josh Frydenberg, the federal energy minister, he's, he wrote an email that, uh, the Tesla battery has been sold to the people of South Australia as an answer to their woes, but in reality, it is just a fraction of the storage and backup that South Australia needs. It's even been suggested the the state government in South Australia had been hoodwinked by a clever salesman and suggested that that the uh, the Premier of South Australia was looking for publicity ahead of the 2018 election over there in South Australia. Mm. So, some voices of uh, of disagreement from the federal side of things, but uh, that that is great that uh, that battery was completed. It's not going to completely solve the issues of power generation and the cost of electricity, which is sky high in Australia and particularly in South Australia, I believe. But it's a very positive step in the right direction. Mm. It shows what's possible. You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. This week has been kind of a strange week in a way for Elon Musk. He's a big Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur. He's known for SpaceX, launching rockets, uh, developing heavy lift rockets, launching even a roadster, Tesla Roadster, into outer space aboard a Falcon Heavy and reusing rockets, the the initial stages of his rockets. It's a great technology and it's a kind of a breakthrough for space exploration, for getting things into orbit and beyond because it saves on cost, which has always been one of the big impediments to um, continuing beyond things like walking on the moon. That sort of stuff has always been held back a little bit by, well, by indecision, but also by the costs involved. 
He's also known for Tesla electric cars, a hugely successful business there. He even has a company called The Boring Company, which makes tunneling systems under cities like Los Angeles. And we've covered that on the show, The Boring Company, uh, and other ventures by Elon Musk. Just do a search on beyondinfinity.com.au and you'll find lots about this uh, very prolific entrepreneur. Now, in the last week, though, things have gone a little bit pear-shaped, you could say. He was involved in trying to build a submarine. He used some recycled rocket parts. And this was to help the rescue of those uh, 12 boys and their coach who were stuck deep inside a cave in northern Thailand. And the cave became flooded while the boys were inside and uh, they were trapped there for, I think, about two weeks until they were rescued by a team of expert cave divers and also the special forces team from Thailand was also involved in that rescue. Elon Musk got involved and said, look, I can, I can possibly provide you with a, a little submarine I think it's about five foot six inches long, uh, rigid, uh, using, I think, using a part out of a Falcon 9 rocket, lightweight, strong metal, which could actually have one of the children put inside it. And then it had oxygen tanks on the outside of it, and it could be actually carried by divers through the winding cave system to safety. That was the idea behind it. This was all fine. Uh, in fact, the rescue proceeded and they didn't need the cylindrical vessel uh, and uh, all, the, all the boys and their coach were, were brought to safety. But he received some criticism from, from one of the English divers, actually, who you know, he made the claim that uh, he, he considered uh, what Elon Musk was doing in offering this submarine and visiting and delivering it to the cave complex and all the stuff that went on on Twitter and uh, social media, talking about this project that he'd embarked on as a PR stunt. So kind of a cynical view that he really only got involved because he wanted the publicity. The whole world was watching the rescue from the cave and uh, he thought he'd try to cash in on That was the suggestion from Spelunker Vernon Unsworth, who was one of the British divers involved in the rescue. Now, it turns out that he's actually an expat living in Thailand. He used some fairly strong language about this. He said that, quote, he can stick his submarine where it hurts. Uh, that was on an interview with CNN. He went on to say it, it just had absolutely no chance of working. He had no conception of what the cave passage was like. So the suggestion that this rigid object could be taken through all the winds and past rocks and through a very winding, difficult cave system, he just thought that was impossible. And in fact, the device that Elon Musk came up with wasn't used. Now, in reply to that, Elon Musk used some fairly scathing language about the British cave explorer on Twitter. Uh, last Sunday, he said in a now deleted series of tweets that he would release video footage of the cylindrical vessel sailing through one of the caves. He then made the apparently baseless claim that uh, Unsworth was a pedophile, saying, sorry, pedo guy you really did ask for it another twitter user challenged him on his remarks and uh, and musk said i bet you a signed dollar it's true interestingly those tweets have now been deleted from musk's twitter account unsworth in reply to this told the guardian newspaper that quote i believed he called me a pedophile he went on to say i think people realize what sort of a guy musk is and when asked whether he would consider taking legal action against the Tesla CEO, Unsworth reportedly said, yes, it's not finished. 
Now, possibly in response to that, the share price of Tesla has fallen. You know, some people are concerned about where this is leading and uh, and is Elon Musk focusing too much on sort of his profile and on social media and Twittering and the like, rather than uh, knuckling down to the businesses which he's involved with. I think the share price is down about 3%, possibly more. It hasn't been a great week for him. He's also been defending against allegations that he uh, is not a true believer in climate change because he donated money towards the Republican presidential campaign in 2016. If you remember, he was actually invited to be an advisor to Donald Trump, and then he resigned from that position. I think apparently at the time it was because he he found that his views were actually out of sync and he wasn't able to influence the Trump presidency in the way that he'd hoped. In defending these accusations that he was not a believer in climate change, he he said that he he did donate to both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, and this was just a a sort of almost an automatic payment, not a huge amount of money, and it was done to facilitate dialogue with whichever party wound up getting into government. It's just a little bit of a pity that uh, this has all worked out the way it is. Just to quote him, he said that he was really quite upset and uh, and disappointed when he received this criticism uh, about what his motives were. He said, this reaction has shaken uh, my opinion of many people. We were asked to create a backup option and worked hard to do so. Checked with Dive Team many times to confirm it was worthwhile. Now it's there for anyone who needs it in future. Something messed up if this is not a good thing, he tweeted. So that's his reaction. He did go on and say some other rather inflammatory things, which I've already mentioned. So not a great week for him. The suggestion that his involvement in developing that submarine was was nothing more than a PR stunt, that it was never suited to the purpose of getting people out of that particular cave complex. That's an open question. His reaction and, uh, and removal of some of those inflammatory comments may have actually caused some uh, legal action to be taken against him for those um, apparently baseless comments about a British diver who resides in Thailand. He called him a pedo guy, and he even made a suggestion that, quote, uh, never saw this British expat guy who lives in Thailand, in brackets, sus, at any point when we were in the caves, he tweeted. The only people in sight were the Thai Navy Army guys who were great, Thai Navy SEALs escorted us in, total opposite of wanting us to leave. That's him describing his visit when he delivered the submarine to that cave complex in Thailand where the rescue was going on. It should be mentioned that uh, Elon Musk has 22 million followers on Twitter, so a lot of people will have seen that exchange via that social media platform. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. Elon Musk, hugely successful guy. Uh, he started off by uh, being involved in the, uh, he was one of the founders of PayPal. Mm. Used that money to set up a couple of businesses. One was uh, SpaceX, mm-hmm. the other's Tesla. Um, and he's both of those businesses, the boring company, and, and he's got flamethrowers yeah, and all sorts yeah. of other crazy little things that he does on the side. But th- those other ones are pretty small compared with the main interests, SpaceX and Tesla. 
SpaceX has done really well. It's got it's secured some amazing contracts with uh, both public and private sector to launch satellites and uh, and even uh, deliver supplies to the International Space Station. They are working on a a crew capsule, mm-hmm. uh, and it could be that they wind up beating the likes of Boeing and uh, those big companies that have traditionally handled manned space exploration mm-hmm. and manned transport. Uh, it could be that uh, SpaceX is the is the next company to actually take over from the Russians in having that capability to deliver Americans to the International Space Station. And even looking or further to, to Mars as well. That's right. With their BFRs, yeah. And, and we're going to come back to this interview with Joe Rogan, but he uh, he was wearing a T-shirt in a recent interview, a celebrated interview we'll, we'll talk about, was saying, Occupy Mars, I noticed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, yeah. so he's got this, it's, it's a huge thing of his, and uh, he's actually gone on, he's, he's given papers and he's made presentations at, uh, you know, astrophysical conferences conferences thank you uh where you know he's he's laid out a, a kind of a a rough road map and and you know look everyone knows with elon that that things take a bit longer than sometimes he would initially envisage mm. but uh, he's very passionate about uh, the need to settle and have a colony on mars one to sort of guarantee the survival of the species in mm-hmm. case we uh, wind up uh, either destroying ourselves through a nuclear war or just causing kind of much uh, runaway climate change that we have to have a backup sort yep. of option to ensure the survival of the species so he's a he, and he's a, he's a visionary uh, he's uh, i think he's about 47 years old now originally from south africa uh, i think he's got a um, i think he's got a he is a trained physicist, so he's actually been able to get quite hands-on with uh, the development of rocket technology, okay, for example. Yeah. But in the case of Tesla, they have struggled. You know, the Model S was a huge success, and then the and then the Model X was pretty successful mm-hmm. as well. They had a few the problems gu- with the going doors. Going yeah. doors had a few problems. Then the three, which was supposed to be the sort of cheaper, you know, more affordable Tesla electric car, uh, was launched, and it was I think it was the biggest product launch in the world in terms of the amount of down payments that people made. Mm. Millions and millions of dollars were put down. Because it's thousand dollar thousand dollar deposits, yeah. and lots and lots of people put them down. So hence, he's got this big order book that he needs to fulfil yeah. to be able to get the balance on the payments of those cars. And he's obviously got a lot of people who are pretty keen to get their get yeah. the car they're waiting on. Yeah. And I've re- I've read and watched some reviews of uh, some of the Model Threes that have made their way onto the road because mm-hmm. they actually are being delivered slowly but surely. And they actually reckon that the Model Three is a really amazing car, both in performance and speed. Incredible, you know, that EV acceleration mm-hmm. like the Model S was famous for. Yeah. But a beautifully designed, uh, you know, really really great car, according to the reviews that I've read. The problem is that they've they've needed to get to a sort of production target. I think it's about five thousand per week, and they've really struggled to yeah, do not that. Not even anywhere close to that, are they? And it it has taken its toll on Elon Musk. Apparently, he's been spending a lot of time working, you know, overnight or not leaving the office, not leaving Tesla's, mm-hmm. you know, literally staying sleeping in his office for days on end. Mm-hmm. You know, trouble with sleeping. Then, you know, in the back with that as a background, if you like, the pressure mounting to to meet those production targets, also running another business altogether, like yeah. another big business, and that that being SpaceX. So from July, things started to get a little bit. You know, that there were some signs that things may not be that cool with Elon. And this started off with um, him calling one of the rescuers in the cave rescue that was done. He offered to, he actually knocked up a kind of mini submarine to Mm. try to get the the kids who were stuck in those submerged caves in, in northern Thailand out. He was criticised because that the submarine that he made was apparently completely inappropriate. Yeah, too to long, the, couldn't go around. Wasn't going to go. Wasn't just was yeah. no good to them. No, yeah. Not useful. He responded by Twitter, calling one of these uh, an expat. I think an Englishman who was an expat living in Thailand and 
involved in this rescue is a, is a veteran caver. Um, does it, you know, as a, I think as a hobby, and and um, you know, was uh, knew what he was doing with. Uh, with his part involved in, the, in in rescuing those those kids, he called this guy a pedo, kind of on the basis that if he's an expat and he's living in Thailand, then therefore he must be a yeah, pedophile. Single in you know which, a certain age group, which was a yeah. you know look a pretty damning thing to say about yeah. anyone under any circumstances. But also you know given that the lack of um, any real evidence that seems to be the case, yeah. um, it was the wrong thing to do. Now that he did apologise for that, but I believe there is still the possibility of legal action um, from the uh, the the, the man who was described as a pedo by Elon Musk. So that's sort of hanging over him. Since then, there's really been no letting up in sort of the woes of Elon Musk, um, and particularly in relation to Tesla. So one thing that's been happening is there's been a lot of short selling of Tesla stocks. People have been betting on the stock falling away. Mm. And so one of the things that uh, he was finding very frustrating was, was that there were these short sellers out there. So Back on August the 7th, he tweeted, and this was without any consultation with the board or management of Tesla, that he had secured funding and that he was going to take Tesla private at $420 a share. He's backed away from that, that statement that he had funding secured. Apparently, that might have been in reference to, uh, I think, a big Saudi sovereign fund, which mm. has got $250 billion, and mm-hmm. the Saudis are kind of interested to invest in technology. They're even technolog- looking at the green technologies. Yeah, yeah. well, they can see the day that the oil is, is uh, not as saleable as it, as it is now. So they'd like to be on the right side of that. They'd like to have it. You know, it would make a lot of sense for them to have a big investment in an, an electric, clean car company, uh, and which until recently was the most valuable by market cap in, in even more valuable than GM. Now, since all this stuff has, has happened, the share price basically in the last couple of months has dropped by 30%, nearly 30% mm. in, in Tesla. And so now it's not the most valuable by market cap. In fact, GM has, has taken that mantle from Tesla. He's been roundly criticised. In fact, the San Francisco Office of the Securities and Exchange Commission has asked Tesla for explanations regarding that tweet that he made. Yeah, because you can't have a director or anyone in public office that you know at the forefront of the business going out and talking up or down the business yes. to increase or you know increase or decrease the actual price of the, the yeah the and shares. and the short sellers who who stood to to gain from the price falling. In fact, well, the price has wound up falling, mm. but for other reasons. Uh, in the short term, back then. In early August, the price after he made that tweet, the price went up the next day by ten percent. So mm. all those short sellers apparently they, they've lost you know a lot of money on yeah. that particular that particular trade. Now in more recent times, apparently they've made billions out of out of short selling yeah. Tesla because it's dropped that much. So he's had a he's had a bit of a rough trot. Some people are suggesting that he's he's worked himself too hard. Other people are saying that he's taken sleeping pills, which uh, do have side effects, and he's taken them a lot. He actually said regarding taking sleeping pills, he said, quote, it is often a choice of no sleep or Ambien, which is the brand of sleeping pill that he's been taking. So Mm. this is a guy who, you know, he's seriously, he's human. And you'd have to assume that he is feeling the pressure from running those businesses, from trying to meet those really demanding and and, uh, hard to achieve production targets for the Model 3 in particular, 
the sleeping pills, if you take them enough, they can actually have the opposite effect. It's been shown. I think I've heard um, you know uni students or kids these days that trying the different drugs, they're using this uh, to try and actually wake themselves up or give themselves a certain high. There's a certain way that you can do that. Mm. Really dangerous, uh, not advised at all. Uh, but this it could be that the continued use that Elon's doing is maybe contributing to this um, this craziness that appears to be sort of bubbling to the surface. For example, potentially this had some uh, impact on the tweets that he has written in the past, particularly with the, the yeah, Thailand under the, under the cave influence diver. of it. Yeah. Yeah. He's also said recently that he uh, that he's not taken more than a week off work since 2001 when he was bedridden with malaria. He went on to say, there are times uh, when I didn't leave the factory for three or four days, days when I didn't go outside. This has really come at the expense of seeing my kids and seeing friends. Apparently he even had, I think, his 47th birthday late June this year, uh, and he spent the entire 24 hours of that day at work with you know, no celebration at mm. all. So the guy's been going really hard. Look, and if you're passionate about something and you enjoy doing it, then I can see that there's there's an attraction to want to keep doing it. You know, we see lots of people that uh, love what they do and they couldn't imagine anything else, so that's, they just keep doing it. But surely the pressures of um, you know trying to reach certain targets or make certain money, um, uh, that, that's got to pile on. And without some kind of break, more than a week, that's certainly going to cause some stress and, and difficult times. Yeah. Now, the other thing that's in more recent times is that his chief accounting officer resigned for, rather suddenly after only a month on the job um, and um, uh, you know that there have been questions that maybe he was concerned about the culture of the company or where it was heading and that he just didn't want to get involved in it you know he realized once he sort of stepped in the door that that he was kind of um, that wasn't exactly what he was you know, ideally hoping for, um, but the, well, they, but, they took but, out big loans. I think when so the, when uh, they announced the, the Model Three, I think they took out major loans in addition to the deposits. Yeah. So they could then invest in the Gigafactory and get things going there. Yep. Uh, but they've got to pay back those loans by a certain date, maybe twenty twenty two. And if they're not hitting their production levels with the Model 3 or any of the other models, then that's not going to be favourable to be able to pay back those loans. So potentially there's a, a mix of uh, a financial operator looking and going, well, if you can't hit those targets, mm. then we can't make the money and therefore we can't pay back the loans. So yep. that can he's, be major problems. Yep, that's right. And he's had to leave, he's, you know, he's, he's been man enough to kind of admit when he's been wrong. He did a, if you issue an apology about the pedo comment. He apparently paid out on a, um, an analyst well, in a you know a conference call with um, with brokers and with uh, analysts uh, about uh, the future of Tesla, and uh, and then he did actually apologise for some of the comments that he'd made to an analyst who kind of he thought it was was being a bit um, boneheaded. Mm. I think he described him as. Uh, now the board of Tesla has come out and said, "quote We would like to make clear that Elon's com- commitment and dedication to Tesla is obvious. Over the past 15 years, Elon's leadership of the Tesla team has caused Tesla to grow from a small startup to having hundreds of thousands of cars on the road that customers love, employing tens of thousands of people around the world, and creating significant shareholder value in the process." So he is being backed, and that was a statement that apparently what you know was done independent to him mm-hmm. by his board. Then just recently, he went on comedian Joe Rogan's show. Now, this is a very popular podcast. I think one of the most, if not the most popular in the world. Joe Rogan's a comedian. He's a funny guy. He's He's an MMA fighter as well, I think. Right. He used to fight. Okay. He's a lover of the weed. Yeah. Uh, And and he he does his podcast in California where it's uh, it's legal for recreational and medicinal purposes. Mm -hmm. So, and this is just in the last couple of days, Elon Musk went on there and there's a great, we've actually, I've got a a link on uh, on our homepage where I've tweeted a link to that YouTube video. You can watch the whole thing. It goes for two and a half hours and it's a cracker. It's a ripper to watch. I mean, Joe Rogan himself is very funny, but you know, the two have some pretty good banter. 
So Joe Rogan fires up a joint, yep. passes it over to Elon Musk, and it appeared to me that Elon Musk uh, had some of that joint, shared some of that joint with mm. him. Now, there's, there's, apparently you were saying, John, that uh, there's, some, there debate been, there's some debate about whether he actually inhaled or not, and uh, if he didn't inhale, then presumably it didn't affect him. Yeah, the Clinton defense, I think it is. Yeah. Yes, indeed. That's what Bill Clinton said. <laughs> so, so for him to be doing that, given what's going on, questions about him, his use of sleeping pills, questions about him tweeting and, yep. uh, and possibly trying to influence the, the you know, illegally really um, influenced the share price of Tesla to to kind of um, thwart short sellers of that stock you know the next thing to see him on you know with with Joe Rogan for two and a half hours where they're kicking back I think he was possibly drinking whiskey and and sharing a joint with him now there was nothing it was actually it's actually a really good interview it's mm. a fun light it's it's not heavy uh, they talk a bit about AI he, he, he reiterates some of his concerns which we've talked about on this show he mentioned an electric plane as well didn't he yeah right yeah. yep that's well worth watching but following that going to air I think the Tesla price went down by six percent the following day so as I said earlier it's it's uh, nearly at 30 percent down over the last few months it's interesting isn't it the the polarization that uh, Mary Marijuana can have. I mean, mm. he was also drinking, so there was there was alcohol. You've mm. got somebody that you know drinking is accepted across the world, mm. whereas studies have shown that marijuana is, is nowhere near as um, harmful as alcohol. People is. see it as a gateway yeah. drug, and it is completely legal, both as you said, medicinal and recreational, mm. in the state that they were in. Yes. So, so they weren't doing anything wrong. They, they there was per- nothing illegal. But but for a guy who's got a very high profile, mm. who is already in the spotlight for you know questions about possible use of well possible misuse of um, sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or you know or the negative effects anyway of, of taking sleeping pills and needing to take them, you know someone who is who is known to be uh, a workaholic and who has um, he did an interview with the New York Times which I've sort of quoted from a little bit and mentioned already, where he you know really described the last twelve months as almost a sort of a living hell for himself. There, there was a um, a fake news story that came out in the last few days, and that was regarding uh, apparently someone had, had published an article that NASA was uh, you know looking into the contracts that they have with SpaceX just mm. due to um, you know as a follow on from the marijuana right. uh, use, and right. uh, and then it's come out that no, no, that, that was completely fake. Then NASA are not worried about it; they're not looking into it any further. But nevertheless, there are you know people are pretty conservative when it comes to investments sure. they make. Michelle Krebs, who's an ex- executive analyst at Auto Trader, said, quote, it's time for Tesla and Elon Musk to grow up. The company has problems and it seems the board and investors need to start speaking up about how the company is being run. Maybe behaving like that is cool to some people, but doing it while running the company with other people's money is really not cool. So, you know, that's that's one take on this. There is the suggestion that, that Tesla has been on the hunt for an exact... Chief Operating Officer or mm-hmm. a, a, a two IC mm-hmm. to Musk to take some of the pressure off him, mm-hmm. and he's apparently got someone who has that kind of role in SpaceX, but in Tesla there isn't. Mm-hmm. So he's shouldering a lot of responsibility, and maybe that's you know that's that's the best thing for everyone is for him to just maybe take a step back. He's he's a very rich man. I'm not saying he should get he should not be involved in those mm. companies. They're his vision. He started them. Sure. He 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 is a, a pivotal part in both of those companies. But maybe it it is time for him to look at stepping back and and not putting so much on the line on a sort of personal level. 
level and also on a health level. In a recent interview, I read he actually said that he's, you know, that friends of his have been dropping by, sort of, you know, just checking up on him to mm-hmm. see how he is. So clearly he's going, and, you know, you look at photos of him and stuff at the, taken at the recent times, he looks like a guy who's pretty tired. You know? Look, he's um, been doing a bit of the rounds, I think, with the sort of the PR exercises following on from uh, some of the negative press he's had. And recently he did a, a YouTube video that was with um, MKBHD, which is uh, Marcus Brownie. He's a, a, an American, a very famous tech reviewer uh, from New York. And, you know, Marcus has a Tesla and uh, absolutely adores and loves uh, SpaceX and, and everything that goes on with Tesla as well. Mm. And he went in and did a factory tour. And so it's good to watch if you get a chance. So we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes as mm. well, where he goes around and they sort of go station to station in the Tesla factory and talks about what they do and how they do it. And Elon is quite honest in, in parts in talking about you know, if there's a if there's a breakdown here, then he has to be called in to help solve the problem. And so it's all the, the minutia, the small details where he has to be involved in trying to, you know, come up with a solution. So I think if there's lots of these in a series of, of events, it could be, you know, fix one problem and three more are created and it keeps going on and on and on, uh, then that's obviously going to add to that uh, that continued pressure. And some of that could be seen in this video that, that I saw. Yep. So let's hope it all works out because, you know, there are signs of... Um, 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 overwork, the effects of insomnia, and someone who we, we love the inspiration, we love the ideas. We, we uh, you know, there's a lot to lot to like about Elon Musk. Let's just hope that he doesn't let maybe being a bit trigger happy with social media and some of the things that yeah. he uh, releases on Twitter uh, at you know odd hours of the day bring him down. Let's, uh, let's we wish that company well. We hope this all resolves itself in a way that everyone's happy with. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you've liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter. Hyperloop is a technology developed by Elon Musk. It, it, it's the idea of you create a, a near vacuum in a sealed tube mm-hmm. And you literally fire a 15 to 30 person capsule through that tube. You can have multiple of them. So it could be, you know, they can leave in two minute intervals, mm-hmm. but they get fired along. They have a kind of a, a passive magneto levitation system. So the, the capsule is not in contact with the inside of the tube. It's floating. Mm-hmm. That allows for frictionless travel. So, so similar to the process of the, the, the fast bullet trains, yeah? Yeah, similar. Like the Magneto system's been used, I think, between Shanghai and Beijing. I think it might be the fastest train line in the world. Mm-hmm. And that travels over 400 kilometres per hour and that uh, levitates on, a, on uh, using a Magneto levitation system. Yeah. But it still has to com- uh, contend with the air friction, so therefore that's what it's fighting against. Yeah, and it's a mu- obviously it's a much bigger train. That's more along the lines of a bullet train mm-hmm. in Japan or the TGV in France mm-hmm. and in other parts of Europe, I mean. Fast trains, that technology is tried and tested. So a submission's been made to the Australian government, you know, because the Australian government is now sort of officially looking at high-speed rail up the eastern seaboard of Australia, Mm -hmm. so linking up Melbourne, Canberra, Sydney, Brisbane, uh, and possibly a whole bunch of regional centres along the way, Mm -hmm. which would sort of go from being towns to big hubs if this goes through, because obviously, you know, as as with any big infrastructure project, if you've got a a train station that's that's new to an area, suddenly that, that area stands to benefit a lot so mm, sure. economically there's there's some big advantages for regional australia if they're included in such a network 
So I guess all sorts of things are on the table. Conventional uh, high-speed rail systems a la the bullet train or the Shinkansen from Japan, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, or things like the, uh, the Hyperloop, which, as I said, allows a capsule to travel through these tubes at speeds of up to 1,200 kilometres per hour. This would allow, allow people to travel from Sydney to Melbourne in under 40 minutes, and Melbourne to Canberra in about 23 minutes, Canberra to Sydney in 14 minutes, and Sydney to Brisbane in 37 minutes. Uh, and the, the, as I said, the technology was first ranked up by Elon Musk back in 2012, and he actually released it as open source mm-hmm. so that uh, you know, anyone could develop it. He's, he basically said at the time he was too busy with Tesla and SpaceX to, uh, to do any more than that, so hence uh, it's open yeah, source. Here's the plans, go and do what you like. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. But, but so, so I guess when you look at it, like if you're travelling you know, Melbourne-Sydney, which is the second busiest route in the world, I think it is, so yeah. it's about 55,000 flights a year. So you have to go to the airport, you know, park your car, get in, get through security, um, you've got to be there a certain amount of time before you get your flight. Mm. Uh, it's only about an hour flight, Melbourne, Sydney. Mm. Uh, and then, um, you know, getting off and getting out is probably probably easy, but probably looking at around about a three-hour you know, journey. Yeah, and that's not a, really accounting for any time from your home here in the peninsula. It's about an hour to get to the airport, just a bit over the hour. Mm. Um, so if you had the Hyperloop, it would be just like, you know, okay, getting to the, to the city, uh, maybe Southern Cross Station, for example, mm. and then uh, just basically paying your ticket getting on board like you were with a normal train and then 45 minutes later you're up in sydney so it would be fantastic huge wouldn't it? saving in time and you're not having to you know get on a plane and if you're a nervous flyer mm-hmm. or it's expensive as well so mm-hmm. there's it could be some significant savings there. not to mention the pollution that planes are putting out into the atmosphere and i think i read a report recently that air travel is expanding around the world quite rapidly at the moment and has done for for several years and that actually is a pollution problem given mm-hmm. we are trying to cool down the world or, or address carbon that's going into the atmosphere well opting for an electrical system which can potentially run on on uh, solar power so mm-hmm. one of the one of the uh, suggestions for the outside of the hyperloop tube is that it's covered in solar panels so it can actually potentially uh, generate its own electricity which is a much cleaner way to go in australia we've got lots of sunshine so you know, that's, that's the reason why it's of um, particular attractiveness to Australians. So do, do we know if these would be fully enclosed tubes or or would they be like a clear uh, perspex type look? Well, I think if they're covered in solar panels, then they wouldn't be clear. Because mm. I don't know if you want to be really looking outside, travelling at those kind of no, speeds. No, I don't think that they do have windows. I think it is mm-hmm. literally a capsule which you get inside about the size of a bus. Mm-hmm. So 15 to 30 passengers is envisaged mm-hmm. and you get shot like a like a bullet through a gun mm-hmm. there's very little resistance because you're you're uh, vacuum you're and, in a yeah. vacuum and you're levitated using uh, magnetic resistance to to float within the tube i mean one of the problems is that you can't have too many bends apparently in a in a uh, in a, hi- in a hyperloop so mm-hmm. there are various arguments against it while i think it's it's great to be embracing new technology and new ideas it doesn't have to be a bullet train in the conventional sense or a high-speed train uh, a la what's what's common now in Europe and in China and in Japan doesn't necessarily have to be that Australia has kind of a blank sheet. We have an advantage in a way to coming into it later than mm-hmm. some countries. However, there are concerns that that this really is a nascent technology. It's sort of on the on the drawing board, really. Um, there is a there is a test track I think that's been built by Virgin Hyperloop, mm-hmm. which is one of Richard Branson's little offshoots of the Virgin Empire. Uh, they have built a a, a test track in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And there are plans, I think they've even signed a uh, memorandum of understanding to develop a hyperloop between Mumbai and Pune in India. Okay. That's a very busy route and I think normally takes about four and a half hours by slow train or and bus. And really unsafe or, train because everyone's hanging off the side of the train. People so. riding on the roofs. Yeah. All sorts of things all over the roads. 
near head-ons. Travelling in India by any form of transport is uh, not for the faint-hearted. Mm-hmm. So this would be a kind of a safe and fast way to do it, and I think it would reduce the, the, the speed for that 150-kilometre, 140-kilometre-odd dash between Pune and, and uh, Mumbai to about, you know, in the order of 20 minutes or something. Yeah. So there are some substantial time savings. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, India's got this massive population. I think there's over 100,000 people who do that regularly on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So Virgin is, is looking to put the first one into India and then from there expand it. So it could be something that, that, that takes off around the world. Hard to know at this stage. It is early days. Some of my concerns would include, um, you know, what if a, a truck crashed into the and cracked it, and therefore there's no vac- in a vacuum, or even worse, if it wasn't an accident, if it was an intentional, for example, terrorist attack, um, does that take out the whole system, or is it sort of sectioned off so you have, you know, a vacuum in in one part, and then you move along, and you have to go through some kind of I don't know gate or door that then you move into the next pl- place which has a vacuum. Therefore, if one section is damaged, it doesn't uh, take the vacuum out of the whole um, tube. I mean, good, I don't know the answers. Good question good question look i think that over the course of a journey because you're traveling that fast i think the whole length of tube of hyperloop has to be pressurized Mm. and they try to get it down as close to a vacuum as possible a vacuum would be ideal and would enable the highest possible speed and most efficient use of energy but i think it's it's very hard to maintain a vacuum in a very large space Mm. so they reduce the pressure but they don't achieve a a perfect vacuum Mm -hmm. so i think the answer to what you're saying is that Yes, if one part of it uh, has a breach, then I think the whole thing well, maybe, is disrupted. Look, it's probably got a tube within a tube so that that way if the outer tube is damaged, it, you're still preserving the inner tube, which you, you're riding through. Yeah. Hopefully like a double hole. There, there are much tanker. smarter people thinking to answers for these questions. Yeah, <laughs> it is early days, and I think that's one of the reasons why there's there's some resistance to having a Hyperloop up the eastern seaboard of Australia. Well, you've got, you got the land has... issues as well. You've got to get the agreements from the state governments, the federal governments, um, that, that it's and, and probably homeowners as well if it's going to go right through that their backyard i think um, labor the australian labor party which is um, looking to take over federal government in uh, about maine this year 2019 they've said that they probably favor a um, a more uh, traditional high-speed rail solution mm-hmm. all sides of politics are interested in having a high-speed mass transit system which up been the, up talked the, about for 50 been talked about years, for years. Yeah. absolutely i mean even that this joke between having to drive out to melbourne airport pay through the nose to park in a massive car park that's just raking in cash mm. for the owners instead of having a fast rail link sydney's had one for a while most cities in the world big capital cities mm. have a rail link to the main airport to an international airport instead of you know people getting stuck and there's roadworks and mm. you know there's sort of almost perpetual lane expansion and all that sort of stuff happening on that that link between Melbourne CBD and Tullamarine Airport. So a lot of people would love to see something like this happen, whether it is the Hyperloop or not. It's hard to say at this stage. You know, we, we'd certainly hope that, you know, some kind of sense prevails and that this is, you know, isn't something that people wait for forever because it's. I think it's high time. We need high-speed transport between capital cities and airports and indeed up the east coast as well. Uh, there are certain distances where, where there are sweet spots for rail and for something like a Hyperloop over air transport. And obviously air transport's going to be the one to compete with in, in the main. Sydney's building a second airport, so congestion's going to be relieved there. That, that's the whole thing. It has to be cost effective, otherwise it's not worth doing. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Elon Musk, the head of SpaceX and Tesla, pretty well-known guy. 
when there was that cave rescue, mm. it was last year. In Thailand. A, a yeah. bunch of Thai kids, a football team, soccer team, were, were trapped in a cave. The water levels rose and they were trapped in there for quite a while. And it was um, an amazing rescue effort. I think uh, actually one of the rescuing divers uh, lost his life in the, in the process. Mm, but yeah, uh, all the boys were saved. And it was a, a great tribute to various people. Uh, you know, doctors who had diving skills. I think there was an Australian who was uh, one of the lead diving uh, people there. One of the was, leading experts in the yes, world but for also, cave diving. Yes, yeah. but also a really a, a qualified doctor. So mm. he could kind of combine both, both skills where needed there. And various other people as well, including an English guy by the name of Unsworth. The whole world was transfixed for like a week or so, 10 days while this rescue took place and different methods were considered. Elon Musk had his Tesla engineers knock up a submarine, mm. like a, a cylinder basically, that a child could fit inside yes. with air supply and stuff and that could actually be moved through these, uh, these uh, water-filled tunnels. That was, that was the plan. I think the criticism was that it, because the... The bends were so tight yes. that it wouldn't be able to go around those, yes. those bends. So, and, and the yeah. rocky terrain and stuff inside there. It was just a very tricky cave to get people out of, cave complex to get people out of. And according to the expert divers and, and uh, cave enthusiasts who knew it well, uh, it was completely inappropriate to try to put this little small submarine. So it wasn't actually used to help with the rescue at all. However, Elon Musk did arrive at the cave and mm-hmm. he did enter the cave system apparently and he took this along. This gentleman by the name of Unsworth, uh, who was a very experienced cave diver and knew this particular complex, I think he was an expat resident in Thailand, he was quite critical of Elon Musk and he basically said this was a publicity stunt Mm -hmm. and that uh, that Musk should actually shove his submarine Mm -hmm. where it fits. So Elon Musk jumped on Twitter, as a lot of people, you know, you look at what President of the United States does on Twitter. He jumped on Twitter and he was very critical and he actually referred to uh, this man Unsworth, this uh, English cave diving expert, as a pedo guy Mm. on on Twitter. So in the wash-up of all this, a lawsuit has happened. Uh, Unsworth sued for 190 million US dollars, which is nearly 300 million Australian dollars. So a right. massive chunk Huge. of change. Yeah. It was broken up into different categories, but that's what it totaled as the money that was being sought. Now, the thing that's that's happened in recent times, which is I thought was quite surprising. You know, you'd, you'd reckon if you make that sort of statement about someone without any kind of foundation and apparently it's, it's not true and in fact uh, Mr. Unsworth has received a knighthood from Prince William and mm-hmm. he's been given various other public honours mm-hmm. I think the Thai government also conferred mm-hmm. an award on him after the pedo comment was made mm-hmm. uh, he still got these awards the lawsuit went ahead and Unsworth I think and his legal team wanted this defamation hearing to happen in England under English law and Elon Musk refused right. and had it, had it done in California where the defamation laws are a little bit different. A bit looser. Yeah, yeah. perhaps a little bit different and a bit looser. His defence kind of amounted to what you say on Twitter is kind of a casual conversation where it's opinion or rhetoric or hyperbole and should not be punished in a lawsuit. This is according to Chip Babcock, a lawyer who defends against defamation lawsuits. So he's kind of singling out Twitter and saying, look, plenty of stuff is said in anger about people on Twitter and it doesn't have to be correct. It doesn't have to be true. And it's not, it shouldn't be treated in the same way as mm. normal defamation or slander yeah. or libel is treated by the law. 
It seems basically that the judge in America who, who heard this, he, he agreed with that sentiment about Twitter. And so Elon Musk doesn't have to make that big payment. Elon Musk did apologize immediately afterwards. I think within a couple of days of making the pedo guy comment, he did apologize on Twitter. The other thing that his defense team did in court was show that Unsworth, the plaintiff, had been given a knighthood and this was despite the pedo comment, mm. and he'd been given an award by the Thai government mm. for his role in that rescue. For, he was a, an expert guide. He knew that cave, and he helped the other rescuers get those boys out safe. So the argument was kind of, well, if you're looking for damage, the supposed victim in this wasn't damaged because otherwise why would he have been given a knighthood or been given an award yeah, the by the... the government may have held the, that by, award, back, award back saying, well, we don't yeah, we don't give, We don't give sure. that to pedos. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter what you did to help these boys. Yeah. If you're a pedophile, then you're not going to get that award. So he was kind of able to say, one, that there was no damage apparently to Unsworth's reputation, but also that Twitter is that kind of a place. It's where that kind it of comment is made. It is terrible on Twitter. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I in a way find that disturbing. I mean, he basically said afterwards, you know, he's going to take it on the chin and just move on with his life. Mm -hmm. The the question of who pays legal fees remains to be determined. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine that Elon Musk's legal team had racked up pretty good fees, as well as Unsworth's own legal team. Who pays those fees is yet to be determined. Normally, if you win, the losing side pays all the costs involved didn't happen this time. I mean, Unsworth would have been a very, very wealthy man if this had gone his way. There's talk about appealing or there's talk about calling it a mistrial or demanding a a, a retrial. Because one of the interesting things was that uh, jury foreman, because there was actually a jury that that, that had took less than an hour to deliberate on this, had said that the panel decided that Unsworth's lawyers spent too much time trying to appeal to their emotions Mm. and not concentrating on the evidence. Mm. Well, look, Musk hired a private investigator to look into Unsworth's past and to see if, dig up some dirt, dig up some dirt. Was this guy actually a pedo and he'd been hiding it or he got away with it? This PI claimed that Unsworth had married a child bride and was possibly a child rapist. But the same private investigator turned out to be a convicted fraudster. This is a person who who Elon Musk paid $50,000 to dig up dirt. That's what he came up with. So that was discredited as well. So I guess the issue with this is because you can damage people on Twitter and and damage and changing public sentiment. And if you're Elon Musk, you've got 20 million followers Mm. on Twitter. You can influence public opinion. and, And should that be allowable under the law? If I stand up on a soapbox in a, in a crowded square and start mouthing off about a person mm-hmm. and saying false statements which are damaging to their reputation, I can be sued. Of course. If I, if I publish information that's false and damaging, I can be sued. This is in Australia anyway. Whereas if you use Twitter, that's not the case. And, and look, the way I see it, I actually think that Twitter is a public statement. If you've got 20 million people following you, mm. listening, hanging off your every word, fanboys, whatever you want to call Especially them. Especially with the blue tick next to your name, which is the verified account. You're not some random person. You're right. someone with authority. You're mm. someone with popularity, with money potentially. Mm. Uh, and therefore, what you say is, 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 influential. To, is influential. Musk is also in trouble over statements that he made. This is a separate issue where he tweeted about funding secured. He was, he was annoyed with short sellers of Tesla stock. Mm-hmm. This is some months ago. He made this tweet saying, you know, fund is secured. I'm going to take the company private, mm. which had an effect on all these short sellers. Yes. And then that turned out to be a completely false claim. He, he claimed afterwards, oh, look, I, was, I had misinformation. Or I didn't have complete information in front of me. But that is actually being investigated by the SEC over in America. Mm. 
So that's another area where Musk has used Twitter to have an effect. Mm. And look, I guess in this case, he did offer an apology fairly quickly when he probably realized that he might have been legally vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But this is a big victory and it's a big milestone case. If this stays and if it's not challenged, and if it, it, it has implications for what people can get away with on Twitter. And Donald Trump is someone who's who's said a lot of stuff on Twitter, yeah. which he walks away from and we just sort of trivializes it. Oh, I was only on Twitter. It doesn't matter. Mm. But it, I think it does matter. When you've got a big audience and you've got a lot of pull yep. and influence over that audience, then what you say matters as it would anywhere you post it. Thanks for listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. For our complete back catalogue, head to beyondinfinity.com.au. You can also engage with us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.